pray. Lord, we do praise you. You're a great and awesome God. We praise you that you have given us your word and spoken to us. That we are not left in the dark to know what it means to live a life that is good and blessed. That we are not left in the dark to know what salvation is in Jesus Christ. But you have made it known to us. We ask today that your word would come alive to us. That it would be worked into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And that we would long to live it out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Exodus chapter 20 verse 15 is the commandment, but we're looking at Psalm 37 verses 16 through 26, and you'll find that on page 466 of the Pew Bible. You shall not steal. That is the commandment that we're looking at, the eighth commandment. Sounds simple and straightforward, and it is simple and straightforward. Uh, We could probably all remember a time when we were little when we broke this commandment, right? Little hands sort of wandering and grabbing a hold of things that they shouldn't. Um, And I think that it's probably one of those commandments that we think we typically outgrow. We're no longer thieves. And we get to this commandment, we say, finally, there's a commandment that I can keep, right? After all, there's a Barna poll out that says 90% of Christians believe that they never break the Eighth Commandment. 90% of Christians, okay? One of the things we need to understand is that the human heart is very crafty and creative when it comes to theft. We develop ways to steal. It doesn't just apply to thugs and bank robbers. It applies to all of us. And we're going to read through Psalm 37 here, verses 16 to 26. I'll just say that this is a Psalm of David. David was no stranger to struggle and hardship and troubles in life. He experienced the wickedness of unjust men. And verse 1 really sets out the program for the psalm. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. All right, so as David looks out on the landscape of the world and recognizes there are evildoers, there are men who do injustice. He's telling God's people, don't fret, do not worry at this. Why is that? Well, he wants us to see the bigger picture of life. Yes, the world is a, it's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it, right? You've got to look out for number one. You've got to take what you can get. And because of that, there's a great temptation all the time for theft, for people to steal things, to get what they can. But God wants us to see the bigger picture of life according to faith in the gospel so that we're able to recognize that while This is a dog-eat-dog world. We can trust in the Lord. So Psalm 37, verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, 
Though he fall, he shall not be cast uh, headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Most of us here, I would say most of us here today, probably don't have aspirations of being what we call filthy rich. We might want to be able to walk into a department store on any given day and buy a new outfit, or maybe buy a a newer version of the car that we have, if we like the car that we have. We'd like to be able to afford a little bit more, do a little bit more, but we're not outlandish in our desires. But whether the goal is to be a millionaire by the time that we're 30 or just have a comfortable, easier lifestyle, what we find is that it's easy to measure life based on prosperity. It's easy to measure life in our lives based on our prosperity. And what God is really saying here in this psalm is that it's a very simplistic and short-sighted way in which we approach life. We are easily caught up in comparing ourselves to the proverbial Joneses. Looking at the rest of the world and comparing at how prosperous are we to them, how successful are we to them. God wants us to see past that, way past that, all the way into eternity. And that's what David does here is he sets forth this great contrast. It's a contrast between the destiny of, of the wicked and the destiny of the righteous. The destiny of those who reject God and those who trust in God. The destiny of those who would forsake Jesus Christ and the destiny of those who would grab hold of Him in faith and call upon Him for forgiveness. And there's a great difference in the way the two approach possessions. The wicked basically says, I'm in this to get as much as I can out of life. I want to gather up and scoop up as much as I can. And they hoard possessions for themselves, for their own pleasure, for their own use. But those who trust in the Lord are those who have a different perspective. And verse 18 to 20 tells us the perspective. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times in the days of famine. They have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish Like smoke, they vanish away. And so David says to the people of God, look here and recognize there's two different destinies. And if you want to have that mentality of gathering as much as you can for yourself in this life, if you want to reject God and seek the pleasures of this life, the treasures of this life, know that that's all that you're going to get. And you better enjoy it now. Rather, to the people of God, he says, there's an eternal destiny and eternal glory that's waiting. And that's what we have to keep our eye on, especially as we think about this commandment. You shall not steal. So what are we going to look at? There were several things this morning. The first is this, that our possessions are a gift of God. Our possessions are a gift of God. And this is really why we're not supposed to steal in the first place. Verse 22 tells us, Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. God gave the land as an inheritance. It's his possession. But you might say he gives it to his people in trust. Everything comes from the hand of God. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. 
other words, everything belongs to God and anything that we have is a gift from the Lord. So stealing is an affront to God because first of all, it contradicts his purposes in the world. It contradicts his purposes in the world. God made mankind and placed us in the world not to own the world, but to be trustees of the world. To care for it. To keep it. God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. God retains the ownership of the world, but He's placed us in the world as trustees to work it and keep it, to care for it, to make it produce fruit. And so stealing on the one hand is stealing from God because He's still the one who owns everything. I had a friend in seminary who worked for a very wealthy couple. And he did all of their shopping for them. If groceries needed to be purchased, he went to the grocery store and purchased the groceries for them on their charge account. Whenever they went out of town, he would be their house guest to watch the property and keep it. Now you can just imagine if they were to come home and while they were away for a week, he started going into the shed and pulling out lawn tools and selling them on eBay. Or maybe he went to the store and he purchased things for himself on their expense accounts. It's a bit what we do when we steal from God. God retains the ownership of it all. But when we steal, we're taking ultimately from him. To steal from others is also not only to steal from God, but to steal from those that he's given a right to possess things. The commandment itself implies that we can own property as individuals. God entrusts the care to specific individuals that he gives it to so that we have it in safekeeping, you might say. Communism, socialism, any kind of collectivism which puts all property in the hands of the collective people negates this reality. We even see Christian writers sometimes writing on Acts chapter 2 when you see the New Testament church gathering together. And one of the things that they would do is when someone was in need, they would sell their possessions and they would give to those who are in need. But there's a great difference between that and, say, communism. Because communism is something that is forced upon the people. What happened in the New Testament church was something that the people did willingly. They wanted to sell of their possessions. They voluntarily gave of themselves For the greater good. But you see what goes on in communism and socialism. Is something altogether different. It evaporates the idea of private ownership. And what God does is he gives individuals particular gifts. So that they keep them in safekeeping. And are trustees over them. Stealing is not only stealing from God. It's robbing from another person. And it's taking away from them the purpose for which they were entrusted the property. They were supposed to have this property and trust from God to use it, fashion it for His glory. And now they've been taken that right. And the thing that God has given to them has been taken away, but not only that, the potential, you might say, for good of what they would do with that property has been taken away as well. Theft cuts to the core of who we are because we're image bearers of God who are made 
to take His property and do good things with it. And when people take from us or when we take from other people, we're in effect robbing God of the potential good that people could do with His property. And so stealing is an affront to God because it takes from His purposes in the world, but it also is an affront to God because it rejects His providence, His providential care. In other words, His sovereign ordering of the universe. His sovereign gifts that He gives to individuals to take what He has given and use for His glory. Stealing defies God's sovereign right to distribute gifts, distribute property as He sees fit. God has the right to make one rich and the other poor. God has the right to give one person this possession and another person that possession. And to steal is basically to look at God and say, you do not have the right to distribute your property as you see fit. You might think of it this way. The father is shopping for his little girl. It's her birthday. And he buys her a present. He's, he's done the shopping. He's looked around. He's found just the right thing. And he gets it wrapped. And at the birthday party, the daughter opens up the present. She's filled with delight. She's squealing. She takes the present. She runs off. And everybody's playing together. And then a few minutes later, what do you hear? That's mine! You can't have that. And you go back there and one of the other siblings has taken the gift. Of course, you sit the child down and you explain, now, now I gave this gift to your sister. It's hers. And that always works with children, right? You just sit them down, you explain things to them, and everything is well. Parents have the right to distribute gifts. God has the right to distribute gifts as well. And to steal is to go against His sovereign authority. To steal is basically to look at God and say, Lord, what You have given me is not enough. What You have given me is not what I desire. What You have given me is not the very thing that I wanted most. And so I have the right to go take it for myself. What the Bible calls stewardship can easily be twisted into sinful human beings' sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to it. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said that man has a high distrust of God's providence. We distrust God and therefore we take for ourselves. God wants His people to trust His providence that He will care for them. Verse 25 says it this way, David is an old man and he says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. In other words, this is what I've seen over the course of my life. I've seen the faithfulness of God to provide for his people. He may not have provided everything that they wanted, but he provided what they needed. And so he wants his people to trust in his providence not only so, but whatever God entrusts to us in this life, he says, you need to recognize that it is sufficient for you. Verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Now, why is it better to be poor and to be righteous than to have abundance and be wicked? Because ultimately, if you are righteous, that means you have God. And if you have God, you have everything. 
He's far more valuable than any possession that we could have in this life. You know, we all worry about money. Sometimes we wonder, do I have enough for retirement? We wonder, do we have enough for a vacation with the family this summer? We wonder if we'll get to the end of the month with enough money. We wonder if we'll have enough to keep our business afloat. Sometimes we wonder if we'll have to go bankrupt. We worry about money. There's much anxiety about money. And sometimes we forget the purpose that God has given it to us for. God has given it to us because He loves us and also because He wants us to use it for His glory. And theft in any form is not a lawful way to handle the stress of money. It robs God of His disbursement of gifts, but it also, you might say, robs Him of His providential right to be at work in our lives spiritually through the possessions that He gives Sometimes he takes things away because he's wanting to get our attention. Sometimes he takes things away because he knows we value that thing more than we value God. And he wants us to value him above all. And then when we value him above all, he says, I will give to you freely. So one of the dangers that we have in our possessions is putting them above God. And he wants us to recognize the reason for which they've been given. And so possessions are a gift from God, but also we need to see the second big thing here is that that is our responsibility as stewards. Now, verse 21 and 22 tell us clearly about this law. You shall not steal the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. So the wicked takes the righteous is generous and gives. Both things are necessary. Paul takes this up in Ephesians 4 when he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We're to refrain from stealing, but we're also to be generous. So the law, the law forbids unlawful taking, stealing. How do people steal? Uh, wrote down a number of things. I don't know if I'll mention all these things this morning. But there are a lot of ways that people have created in order to steal. Probably the most dangerous thing to youth in terms of theft today is actually kidnapping. There are 293,000 youth, according to the FBI statistics, 293,000 youth today in our country who are in danger of being kidnapped and taken into sex trafficking. 293,000 kidnapping goes on not only in our culture, but all around the world. Person theft. There's property theft, physical property. I may be the only person here in this room who's ever had two bumpers stolen off of a car. On two different occasions, separated by about 10 years, I walked out my front door in the morning and the bumper was gone off of a car. Not sure why. Don't know what the Lord might be telling me in that. There's white collar crime. Business executives, strip company profits while uh, workers lose their pension. People borrow things from their company, maybe intending to return them, but they fail to return them. You steal intellectual property off the Internet. 
There's break room theft. You know what break room theft is? If you've ever worked in an office space, you know what it's like. You put your lunch in the refrigerator in the break room. You go back to find your lunch at lunchtime and something's missing. You can steal someone's privacy. Our government does that today. You can steal someone's identity. You can steal a spouse. You can steal someone's sexual purity, as we talked about last week. You can steal the recognition that's due to someone else by claiming achievements that you did not achieve, or at least letting other people believe that you did it. There's breach of contract. You promised to do something and you failed to do it. There's fraudulent trade. In the Old Testament, they call it unjust weights and measurements. So that when you're in the marketplace, a pound is not really a pound. Sometimes the salesman, when you're purchasing a car, wants to hide the defects. Or maybe the buyer is just the opposite. You walk onto the lot to buy a car, and you, print, you pretend that the car is just a piece of junk. There's absolutely no way that you're going to pay that amount of money for it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 14 says... Bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, he boasts. Look what deal that I got. There's mismanaging of public funds. Now this may come as a great shock to you. But politicians even steal. And sadly enough, even pastors steal. There's stealing of allegiance. You remember how Absalom rebelled against his father David and stole the hearts of the people and led them astray. You can steal somebody's confidence. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees over and over because they stole the confidence of the people in the grace of God. And they put their confidence and their obedience in the law. For other people, parents sometimes steal the confidence of their children. They rob it away by declaring them to be unworthy. You can steal a reputation, reputation of a business by slandering them. You can exploit people and steal that way in oppression. A variety of ways in the Old Testament that people exploited those who were poor. And you might think of our own day of the day lending practices that go on in our culture. You can steal rest from family or even workers on the Sabbath. You can steal work. You just slack off at work for a while. You spend time surfing the internet. You don't put in a full day's worth of work to receive a full day's wage. There's unauthorized use of companies' resources. You can defraud loans when you have never intended to pay it back. There's tax fraud. You can steal honor to whom honor is due. You can steal government secrets in our own day. And ultimately, you can steal God's glory. We steal when we think we deserve it. And when we're willing to pay the cost to have it. Now let me say this. There's always a cost to stealing. Always. Even if you quote, get away with it. If you get caught, there's financial costs, legal costs. If you don't get caught, there's the emotional cost. Because you're hiding and you're wondering, is someone going to find out? Are they going to know? Is somebody going to figure out what I've done? And ultimately, there are relational costs too when people can no longer trust you. Or you wonder, do they really trust me? Did they find out? 
There's always a cost to it. And if we're going to steal, we have to be willing to pay the cost. And ultimately, according to Psalm 37, the cost is eternal damnation. And so the law requires us to refrain from stealing, but it also requires righteous giving. Verse 21 says the righteous is generous and gives. According to the Bible, a thief is not only someone who takes unlawfully, but a thief is also someone who withholds what is not his or hers to keep. Who withholds what is not his or hers to keep. In the Old Testament, the book of Malachi chapter 3, God said to his people, you are robbing me. They responded by saying, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and in your contributions. In other words, what they were giving God was the leftovers. Instead of bringing a pristine animal for a sacrifice, they brought an animal that was lame, that was defective, an animal that they couldn't sell anyway. God says, you're robbing me because you're not giving me what is my due, giving joyfully and generously and sacrificially to the work of the gospel. We can withhold the exercise of our spiritual gifts Another gift that God has given to us, these spiritual gifts to use for the building up of the body of Christ. And if we withhold those from the church, we are robbing God. And finally, we can withhold from the poor and the needy. Friends, it's only when we realize that it's not ours anyway. It's not my money. It's not my gifts. It's not my possessions. It all belongs to God. When I begin to realize that, that's when I begin to say, I can give it away. And with that mentality, we need to teach our children to do the same thing. For those of you who have young children, you might want to teach them what it is to tithe. Maybe on an allowance or something they get that they earn money for. Teach them to share. Teach them even to set aside money to be generous to someone else. Because when you begin that practice early on in life, you are more likely to continue it in life. One of the things I usually tell uh, couples who are getting married as we talk about money and finances for a couple is begin the practice now, not only of giving to the church, but also begin the practice now of setting aside money, whatever it might be, a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars, a hundred dollars a month, whatever you can come up with to give away to someone in need. Because if you wait until you have the money, you will never have the money to give away. But when the gospel comes into our lives, that's the very thing that we want to do is give things away. Remember what happened to Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. He stole from the people for years and years. He amassed this great amount of wealth. And when Jesus came, and told him of the good news of the gospel. That his sins were forgiven. What did he do? But he restored to the people fourfold what he had taken. Far more than the law required because he wanted to be generous and give of the abundance that God had given to him. So the last thing we want to look at here for just a couple of minutes is this. And that is our motive. Our motive is the grace of God. Our motive is the grace of God. 
We steal for two reasons. One, because we think we deserve it. We feel justified. We might say, well, they stole from me or they'll never miss it. They've got so much. Or we desire it. We desire what we can't have and because we can't have, we take it. The gospel tells us we don't deserve it. And the gospel tells us we're not free to take what we desire. It's grace that compels us to fulfill the law. Verse 25 says it this way. I've been young and now I'm old. I have not yet seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously. In other words, the person who has received from God so much, the person who has received from God all the days of his life, the person who has received such grace and mercy from God, that's the person who is lending generously. Who rather than taking for himself is willing to give it all away. And that's what the gospel is all about. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine says it this way. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you might by his poverty might become rich. In other words, God has given to us abundantly. And it has cost him dearly. What we need to do is begin to consider the cost that God paid for our eternal life. And compare that to the cost that we might pay to be a little generous. The two don't compare at all. God left glory. He left all the praise and adoration that is due to Him. And He came down to be born in a feeding trough. And to be beaten and despised and killed on a cross as a common criminal. Not only that, we also need to recognize the riches that He gives. And compare those to the riches that we could get in this life. Brings us right back to Psalm 37. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Far better to possess Jesus and all of His grace. And the more we understand just what that grace really is and how much it cost Him and which riches He gives through that grace, the more willing we're, recog- we're to recognize what it means. For me, not only to refrain from stealing, but to give, to lend generously. Because this is the very life that the God who is my Savior has lived for me. Ultimately, what God is doing is inviting us into the very life that He lives. Inviting us into the very character that He possesses. To say, now I have given to you, and I want you to come, and I want you to share all that you have, because it's all a gift from me anyway. It's the mercy of the gospel. It's what calls upon us and motivates us to fulfill this commandment. Let's pray together. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you that you have been so generous to us in Jesus Christ. With him, we lack no good thing. 
We have everything that we need and it has all been entrusted to us by You out of Your grace. Help us to look at our possessions not as things that we own outright, but as things that have been leased to us for a time and that we might use them to bring honor to Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.